Corbin and I would like to take the time to dedicate episode 50 to the life of Mr. Rich Goulet. Rich Goulet was a man who we had the fortune of sitting down with and talking to on our podcast, but before that and even after that, um, influenced and affected so many people in the game of basketball. Coach Goulet started his career at St. Thomas More, where both Corbin and I coach and continue his life coaching through the provincial team, his own team camp, his community, um, Steve Nash leagues, and at Pitt Meadows Secondary. There was literally a program that he did not, um, that was not, he was not a part of. He coached grade 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, every provincial team level, and did it with passion and desire. Corbs, what are your thoughts about Coach Goulet and the, and the time that you had to get to know him a little bit and what you've seen in the last few days since he passed? Just just a tremendous loss, I think, for the basketball community in all in all different ways, right? Um, I think for someone like me as, as a young coach, again, like wasn't around for kind of those, the prime Pitt Meadows teams of like the 90s and maybe the early 2000s. And you you hear about, such a coaching legend and you know one of the I guess benchmarks for me as a coach was like getting a chance to share the court with someone with his stature right and I had my chance to do that and that was amazing um and it's just the amount of lives he touched the amount the the amount of young men that he's helped mold and probably young women as well over these 40 almost 50 years of coaching is is just a loss for the for everybody who's known him who's worked with him and it's just i i feel for you know basketball in bc just in general yeah um i think um doing a lot of reflection the last few days since sunday and it's uh wednesday when we're recording here um I think it's time for, and, and I'm not doing this in a, in, in a mean or a bad way, but I think it's time for School District 42, it's time for Pitt Meadows to step up and do the right thing. It's time for them to take a step back and look at the legacy that Coach has left, what he did for their community, let alone their school, what he did for their community, the money that he brought in, the exposure he brought, the people that he brought to Pitt Meadows um, just to spend the weekend, book hotels, spend money alone. Um, on top of all the coaching and time that he put into that gym, that gym needs to be named Rich Goulet Court, um, bar none. And um, I know there's a whole bunch of people in our province that support that, and we would love to see that happen. And the second thing that I've really reflected on is it makes me sad that some of my coaching friends, you know, they're they're still upset about how Coach was let go um, with Pitt Meadows and the situation that happened there. But I think for me... I'm just sad that there was a group of parents that missed out on letting their kids have the opportunity to be coached by Rich Goulet um, because he wasn't perfect, but his approach was always about the kids, always about making them be the best basketball players and people they could, and it was nothing else. And there's a family and there's a group of families there that uh, didn't think he was the guy. And I have a four-year-old son and if my son in 12 years decides to play basketball um, and he doesn't want me to coach him, I hope there's a Rich Goulet out there that can coach him because he's going to make him a more accountable, better person, regardless of what he chooses to do in life. Rest in peace, Rich Goulet. You'll be missed by so many, but we will carry your legacy on. We will push young people to coach the game and be involved, and we will continue to be the best versions of ourselves as coaches, as mentors, as teachers. And... 
You've left a legacy that no one will be able to fill, but we'll do our best to carry that on and rest in peace. Much love to the Goulet family. And that's it from a hoops journey. Corbs, I really hope that um, I represented you guys well. Very nervous coming into this uh, episode. Wanted to, you know, get it right, whatever right is. But, you know, AM, like I said, especially during that segment, where we're talking about, about all those championships. It's just, you know, super impressive. And something like that I don't think any other person has really done. Hopefully somebody can fact check that. But, you know, his accomplishments um, have been incredible as a player and as a coach, as people will hear and find out. What were some of your... Um, best moments in this episode like you've, you've known mitch for a long time and I've, I've known him for i guess a long time now but you know i didn't know about that stuff about him i didn't know you know kind of the sports he played and this is it's like you know just, you're learning stuff about your mentor you're learning stuff about someone that you look, look up to and you just see the side of him that you didn't know you know with teachers know right That's, sometimes you forget that they have lives too like they're people outside of their own teacher role right and you know for a long time it's hard to kind of shed that right just because you know he was my teacher first and then just to hear and see like different sides of him has been illuminating in a way it's you know, opened up like he you know he can come off as you know a, well he is like a fun loving you know he'll chirp with you he'll throw he'll throw jabs at yeah you know he'll like, have a lot of fun but you know he he's he's a family man he believes in loyalty right he believes in people that kind of got him there you can, you can tell by the way he talks about his mentors right and it's kind of you know, he shared that with us, with our with our group of guys when he when I played for him, and and it stuck around. Um, yeah, I just hear just hear him talk earnestly about about his life, right? Like I'm sure you heard things that you didn't hear about. You know, you guys were roommates for a while. We, we didn't even touch on that, but you probably learned stuff about him that you didn't know. Uh, I think you hit it right on the uh, head, and you know, hopefully, people enjoy this episode, and uh, I'm excited to hear what they have to say about it. Okay, I got the intro music ready, so whenever you feel ready, uh, I'll just drop that down a little bit. How's okay. it going to go, though? You're going to play it? I'm going to play it? Yeah. You'll hear it. You'll hear it. You're gonna hear it and you're when gonna do straight... I go in? It goes like, here, here. Whatever you want. I'll, I'll, I'll help you out. So here's what it's going to sound like. Uh, 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 uh. It's me, NOV, episode 50, coming off of the top of the dome. What you going to do? Listen from home? What, 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 what? Don't include <laughs> a casual four and a half bars. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got, man. I got Dude. asthma. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, oh. <clears throat> uh. All right. Are we ready? I. You guys ready? Yeah, man. Episode fifty in the books. Okay, we got. I'll play the intro music on three, two, one. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. It is an absolute honor to be your host for the 50th episode of A Hoops Journey podcast. My name is Novell Thomas, the self-proclaimed godfather of A Hoops Journey. Yes, this is my godchild. AM and Corbs don't know it, though. I've been afforded this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to host and ask Aaron Mitchell the questions but before we go any further, don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, and comment. So without 
any more delays, I'd like to introduce a husband, father, son, uncle, friend, teacher, coach, mentor, disseminator of the BC Hoop Scoop, a valuable member in my wedding party, my plus one at various establishments, the co-creator and host of A Hoop's Journey, Aaron Mitchell. AM, how are you? Wow. Other than speechless after that introduction, um, I don't know what to say. I'm sweating. Well done, man. I'm good. How are you? I am excellent, excited, have been looking for this, looking forward to this opportunity. Um, Gents, congratulations on the 50th episode. Applause, applause, please. There you go. You know, 50 episodes in AM, what has been the biggest surprise in the podcast domain? Shout out to our sponsor, Parkside Brewery. Good question, man. Um, Thanks for doing this. It's good to see your face on Zoom and everything. Uh, Biggest surprise. I think the biggest surprise is, I guess I just assumed that it was only for people that were kind of social media present. And you forget that once kind of word spreads about something, it's a simple text of a link or something like that. And just how things can gain momentum really quickly, whether in a good way or a bad way, just another reminder of that. And also just give them a quick shout is like how much work it actually is. I mean, I just do the talking and I get to go into my wheelhouse and be the extrovert. But honestly, Corbs does, he does 75 to 80% of the work. I won't even front and just how much work behind that was, um, especially when you're trying to do everything online uh, and not able to be face-to-face. So you have challenges that uh, a lot of people wouldn't expect. And we're not dealing with a HBO sponsor or Showtime <laughs> or anything like that, right? So we're grinding. And so those are probably two things that I think have really stuck out. But you mentioned that, you know, a simple text here, send out the link here. But I think the content still needs to be good. Like, it's not that easy. I think you have to be, you know, drawing on memories and hitting all those buttons with your with your audience to really make it happen. So um, don't don't shortchange yourself. I think I think there's more to it. You still have to have a good product. So this is the 50th episode. Um, you are on the hot seat. It's 50. <laughs> <laughs> Can we make it official? Can I be the godfather of the hoops journey? You are now. Of course. Uh, you are now. Nobody's claimed it until now. I, I'm more than happy to. Let's go. Hey, the, I'll do the, it as long as it doesn't come with any debt. <laughs> no, <Nah>, maybe just... <laughs> Nah, you won't get the cement shoes or anything. Maybe a free tea your way with Godfather on the back. Mm. Okay. okay. Don't cut off there the sleeves, go. though, man. Don't cut off the sleeves. No, nah, never. Not with these guns or pipes, <laughs> whatever you want to call them. Plastic bands. All right, so before we get into it, I have a handful of questions centered around the theme of 50. Okay, so around oh, wow. 50. 50 theme, 50th episode, question number one. 
what do these five NBA players have in common? Listen up. MJ, Bird, Kobe, Tom Chambers, Dwayne Wade. They all drop 50 in a game. Yeah, that's easy. <laughs> wow, no love. <laughs> Tom but, Chambers, Tom Chambers, a little loop though. I was like, could White Boy really play like that? Yeah, yeah I remember that. When, he probably when had I thought like of this question, dunks. he had sixty. D Wade had fifty-five. Kobe had an eighty-one, as we all know. Uh, Bird had a sixty, and I think MJ's highest was sixty-nine. I think. Let's. Anyways, oh, I that. Uh, we'll move on to question two. Your favorite track by Fifty Cent. Ooh. Oh man, 50's first album, phenomenal. I saw a tweet a while ago, someone tried to put it in a top five, like most overrated. I was like, this is the worst list I've ever seen. Uh, it's got to be, if I can't do it, homie, it can't be done. Mm. I'm going to let the champagne bottle pop. I'm going to take it to the top. Oh, I'm going to make it hot, baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The right thing would say in the club, but I got to go with if I can't. I mean, mm-hmm. 21 questions. Ooh. 21 questions. questions. Love you like a fat, like you love you like a fat kid love cake. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Our, the, year, oh. the year the Celtics won the championship, the oh, yeah. intro music was, um, oh my God, I'm going to kill me. I can't remember the name of the song, but it was 50. And I would get so hyped and KG would come out and be like, oh, let's go. Anyways, good question. Not that scoring, question three. Not that scoring is the only thing that matters, but in terms of points scored, have you scored 50 or more, or what's the highest score you've scored in a game? You're going to die. Does uh, does men's league count? Yep. I had uh, 77 in the Brandon Ooh. men's league. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Mm. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, I was hot as a pistol. We were playing Shiloh Army base, but I was still hot. So mm-hmm. I think I even pulled. I think I even shot at the end of the game too. It was kind of rude, but I mean, it's men's league, right? We all paid Ooh, to be boy. there. Good boy. Good boy. <laughs> all right. Question four. <laughs> the final question. Uh, thinking back to the previous forty-nine episodes, what are some of the top laughs or memorable moments for you on the show? Ooh, I mean, you'd be remiss to say like talking with Todd McCullough for a couple hours is not absolutely hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a good laugh. Um, to be honest, the thing that like keeps my heart beating about it is reconnecting with people I haven't in a long time, getting to know new people, and then chatting with people like yourself that have been friends for a long time in my life. So, um, mm-hmm. looking back on all that, yeah. And yeah, absolutely. I think Detlef Shrimp, Dom Zim, episode one. Yes. Still, still for the record, our most downloaded episode, if you can believe it. And we're everyone else. So, um, yeah, that that was pretty damn funny. And uh, I don't know, Corbs and I have had a lot of laughs and annoying moments offline too. But um, I honestly just, I enjoy every single episode for what it brings and the value that it has within the person who's speaking. Mm -hmm. I try not to say which is a favorite. I mean, you know, some of the names are bigger globally than others, but everyone still has amazing stories and journeys. And that's been the best part is because I'm selfishly learning too. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that left shrimp was was one of my top fours, and and like just you know spit out the water type of funny. Yeah, and I got three others. Okay, what do you got? Can um, I say one more? Actually, no, can I say one yeah. more? Scott uh, Scott Morrison, American. Well, he's Celtic Scott Morrison, Canadian Scott Morrison. Uh, the stories about uh, the bail, the you know, ah, the, the, the yes. bus breaking down, and then the toy bond, and then his dog puking in the uh, analytics uh, office. That, I don't mm. know. I was dying at that. That made mm. me laugh my ass off too. Mm-hmm. But what do you got? Um, yeah, the debt left shrimp got me uh, for sure. <laughs> uh, oranges. Ah, yes, um, Kim. Kim. That, that one I was not expecting. Um, <laughs> Eves like with Rick oranges? Ross. Yep. Oh, my God. The Rick Ross one that. got me. And um, Sacre's These Nuts. That oh. one was. Those ones were, were the most memorable moments for, for me. Corbs, what about you? You got any? I think the These Nuts was probably one probably the funniest one, especially. Like, Tell me what uh, happened after. So offline. Um, so he, we FaceTime him, right? And he's howling. He's dying. He's like, I got you guys. Ah, he's like, you know, classic Sacre. And then so he's like, hey, Corbs, uh, are you a CD or a tapes kind of guy? And I'm like, well, actually, I'm a CD guy. He's like, CD's nuts. Hangs up. Yeah, man. And, like, we need him back to get the recording. Like, the, the, the audio has to upload. So he's like, he thinks he's the funniest guy in the world. We're like, no, for real. We need you to, like, be online for another... 15 minutes and he's just dying I'm like oh yeah. you dropped that I was like oh CDs well what a you know, those are some good memorable moments wish you guys many more um let's switch gears here COVID did I freeze or did you neither I'm just <laughs> taking a deep breath remember I got asthma <laughs> COVID has been a slap in the face you know, ruining lives, mm-hmm. taking lives. It's forced us to course correct like never before. Have you found or how have you found the good in the virus and pandemic? Kind of the glass half full. Mindset. Yeah, I think there's been a few things and you flipped the script on me. But um, I think one is I had parents who were able to tell me to follow and listen to what people who know a lot more than me about a topic and follow and listen to what they should do. Um, I'm proud of how myself and my family have stuck to the rules and kind of done our best and sacrificed so that I was never worried about getting it if I did, even going and being a teacher, but just more like this is what someone's asking us to do so we can get through this. Um, I also think I've learned, I've done a few things actually, Not, not having coaching this season is like, you know, Eli went from three to four this year so being able to connect with my family a lot more and those are years that I'll never be able to get back especially the younger years when they're not in school so you know got to spend a lot more quality time with him and just appreciate those things or try to as much as I could um and you know our story right it took us a long time to become parents and uh, you know it Instead of the getting caught up in how a four-year-old is acting, just kind of embracing it and having the best moments we can. I've started to like practice a little bit of mindfulness and meditation. It's really brought a lot of calm to my life. Um, I'm not an anxious person by any means, but 
just kind of practicing some breathing and like Matt Kuzminski, you know, selfishly getting to know him on the episode. He, he brought that up and I read a really great book and have been practicing for, you know, a couple months now and it's really helped. So that's been great. And just, you know, kind of thinking, I've thought about kind of what it is I want for the future and what my aspirations are, um, just in terms of what direction I want to go professionally, what I want to do. And so it's it just helped me to slow down and appreciate, like you said, the small things and the half full. And I don't think at any point I've ever felt like um, I want to kill my family more than some days I do. You know what I mean? Like it hasn't been the stress of everyone being around each other hasn't been a lot. Obviously, the last thing Nov would be like, uh, we started a podcast and it's been great. And so uh, I've learned a lot about myself in this time and tried to um, expand my mind. I've made a goal to read a book a month um, in the new year. I read three to end the year and I'm on number five already. So I've been a horrible reader my entire life uh, and now I'm and challenging myself to read. So that's good. And you're right. I think as athletes, when we've committed ourselves to a game, there's no excuse for when something like COVID happens for us not to be able to find opportunities to learn and grow. So that's a good question. And, and um, didn't really think of all the things that I've done. I've just, and that's also a thing that I need to do better is pause and, and reflect on each day and what I'm doing. So I hope that answers it. No, it sure does. And I think uh, a lot of little cookies there that, uh, we should be able to walk with just taking a step back, taking a deep breath and just enjoying the present. It's said all the time, but how often do we actually really do it? Let's go back to your childhood. Oh boy. Um, now, from what I remember, a little bit unique in that you're moving around a little bit. First off, remind us of those places and locations where you live. Were you ever out in Ontario? No. Nah, so the furthest we made it, my parents were in Edmonton, then they were in Calgary. My brother was born. Then we were in Penticton. I was born in Penticton, then Victoria, and then the lower mainland. So, okay. so quite a bit of movement. made it east. Yeah. Just on my dad's job. And he had to do what he had to do, right? The second part of the question, how were you able to manage the moves and what advice would you provide to the younger audience or parents of young kids who are having to move from town to town or city to city or from school to school? Something that perhaps a military or law enforcement family may appreciate. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I was so young when we moved from Penticton to Victoria. But the thing that I appreciated once we got to Victoria is my parents got me and my brother involved in as many things as we could, right? So it wasn't just school. Um, it was, you know, my brother played an instrument, then loved sports. I love sports. So it was like getting involved in your community as much as we could um, was huge. And I, I think probably by that age too, I was already showing my extrovert, right? So the, the progression for me was fairly natural. I was, you know, find out who the kids get and, you know, which ones are annoyed by me and which ones kind of like me. And then we go from there. Um, but the big one was probably from Victoria to Vancouver. I was like grade six. So it was a tough time. Um, but again, old school neighborhood, right? Kids running around. All you had to do was walk out your door and you could find a few people to hang with. And if you didn't like them, you'd find another group and figure it out. And luckily grew up on a street and in a neighborhood that 
had a lot of young people my age that I connected with. So I don't know if I could give any personal advice. I mean, my dad was making, I was never mad or disappointed or upset. It was like my dad was making family decisions for us, right? They were what was best for us financially. Um, the company that he was working for was moving him up the, the ladder, so to speak. And it's what he had to do so that we could have a, you know, a middle-class life. And I appreciate him doing that. So, um, you got to do what's best for your family first and kids are kids, man. We'll adjust. I mean, you've got kids, uh, you know, like we're in the middle of a pandemic, like they'll look back on this and it's going to be nothing to them, right? They're way better adjusting than adults are. I think the adults are the one that get the anxiety and the stress from moving and big things like that. So I picture this snotty nose, extrovert, little Aaron Mitchell running around the neighborhood. <laughs> what, what sports are you playing? Is it like I can't really picture you with a hockey stick? Um, can't really picture you with the basketball, but that had to have come in there at some point. Like, Oof. what were you playing? Oh my God! Do we have any like uh, Undertaker? Undertaker music? Yeah, thanks. Like, wow, R.I.P. Uh, everything, man. Uh, I actually was talking about with uh, some parents in our neighborhood here. Is like. Do you ever play the game Cherry, where it was like all your buddies were out in the field, you hit the ball, but we, oh. we played on the street, right? And then you roll the ball at the bat, and if it hits the bat, and you catch it, and you're up to bat, you stay up to bat, but if it drops, then someone else, like, just making up games, did a little bit of everything. Um, really, I would say, like, I played volleyball, uh, played soccer, played basketball, uh, went to tennis camp, um and really love baseball as well right so when i was younger played a lot of things um but i like got to a point where as time moved on you know my priorities changed and i got a little more interested in other things but um yeah i was as active as i could be my parents philosophy was get the heck out of the house and we'll see you maybe for lunch and if not we'll see you for dinner right so you didn't really have a choice and um i think it started with you know like connecting with like the phil Ole episode just making up games and figuring out in the in the street or the park and picking teams and making someone be the last pick and prove that they shouldn't be and then someone be the first pick and just figure it out i was a pretty aggressive kid i was always competitive maybe a, to the point of kind of being a bit of an asshole but um for some reason i just had a bit of a competitive fire inside of me um, from a young age as well. So I was down to do whatever and play whatever if someone was up for it. And so at what point or what age were you like, I love hoops. This is what I want to play and do for as long as I can. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I think like I, I was kind of, I grew a lot. So I was a bigger kid and taller kid. And um, I think that's what made the game sort of natural at a, you know, at a grade five, six level. It was it just became easier because it was like I could take four dribbles and get a layup, but didn't really know my skill level. But I did like what basketball offered from a team standpoint. I liked um, the coaching that I was getting at the grassroots level. So that drew me in as well. And then it was basically I was playing for Metro Ford soccer and could no longer do that. Even though my coach, I'll never forget, said, uh, you'll never make it in basketball. Like, why would you want to play basketball? And uh, Corbs, you'll know I was almost like I was a year away from playing Coquitlam Reds, but then just, it just became too much and just committed to basketball. So I think basketball was always in, in me. Like my dad played it growing up on the Island. He had three brothers that played it. Um, you know, they know a lot of the old heads from the Island days and had some battles at a squad high. So every, every place that we lived, we had a hoop and we were like setting goals at a young age and figuring out who we wanted to be. So 
I don't know when it actually came in where I was like, all right, I love this, but it just was a natural thing, if that makes sense. Now, growing up, um, we used to get the occasional game, Seattle Sonics game. Who, who, which NBA players did you kind of emulate? I mean, laugh, but I love Magic. I love that, like, he wasn't just a shooter. He wasn't a defender. He wasn't back to the basket. He could pass. Like, I just was really drawn. And I loved his character on the court. Um, I loved him always smiling. He was, you know, pumping up the crowd, laughing, high-fiving his teammates. Like, he just seemed like a really well-rounded player and captain. So he, for sure, my brother was a bird guy, like, to the point where he got the bird or the Celtics trash can and I got the Lakers with the hoop and you'd, like, cheat your garbage into it. Yeah, and so... That was just kind of natural, but I honestly loved Magic. Magic was the guy that drew me to basketball. I just loved the way he played, and he just made it seem like he wasn't playing a sport. He was having fun doing what he did. Um, I actually hated MJ because um, he just always would win, and he was like what everybody was cheering for, so I just didn't really like him and loved Barkley as well. Um, but I was hooked. Like Once I was 16... Like I was recording NBA action on the VCR, the top 10 countdown, NBA inside stuff with Ahmad Rashad. Like that was my pregame. I never forget. I had a plain bagel with butter, uh, spaghetti with just ragu sauce and some parm. And I would watch top 10 NBA action like and just chug water. And I just get so jacked like watching these guys play basketball. So, you know, there was a lot. I mean, um, I, for some reason, I remember when Patrick Ewing lost in the national final, I cried. I don't know why. I just really wanted him to win for some reason. I think that was, uh, it wasn't MJ, but there was another. And I just was like, why am I crying? My dad was like, why are you crying? I'm like, I don't know, man. I was like, I wanted Patrick Ewing to win. So. so let's talk about your junior high and senior high years. I know you went to Terry Fox. Where were you before you got to Terry Fox? So grade eight at nine, I was at Charles Best, which was only um, in the Coquitlam district in SD43 at the time. High school was only 11, 12. So um, you would go to junior high, which was eight, nine, 10, which is probably what you did, Nov. And then uh, high school was 11, 12. And then I just grew up. We were going to Tri-City Hoop Camp, um, had... You know, Richie Chambers, Don Van Oss, there'd be like four different gyms that you would go to for this camp. And I honestly just fell in love with playing for Richie. Um, my brother was at Centennial at the time. He's three years older than me. And I remember, you know, just being the the minivan. He got his license. The minivan had six seats, but there was only five guys that could come because I was at every damn game watching the cheerleaders, watching the fans, watching everybody play, watching all these Centennial guys hoop. Um, so that really hooked me in and then just watching coach, you know, Chambers and his style and everything and just how he treated me. He'd always say hi and things like that. I, uh, I always wanted to play for him. It was like, it was like a dream. I just, I remember when I was in grade nine, I was coming even to the spring league games at Pitt Meadows. I don't know if you played in the spring league at Pitt Meadows there back in the day. And, uh, one week he was like leaving the gym and he goes, Aaron, I'm like, yeah, what's up? He's just like, bring your shoes next week. And like my brother's grade 12 year wasn't, they were okay. They were close to making BCs, but his grade 11 year was quite strong. So, you know, they're, they're kind of like seven guys would come to the spring league games. So I'm like, oh my God, like I'm in grade eight, man. Like, what am I doing? Like I barely have armpit hair. Well, that's not true. I probably had back <laughs> hair by then, but um, like 
I remember going there, like sitting in the car. I'm like, holy crap, like we're playing like the Maple Ridge Ramblers and Ken Dockendorf today in Springley, you know? And we had six dudes. So it was five and me. And I'm like, <laughs> so, you know, point guard gets a couple fouls to start the game or whatever. I get out there, make a mistake. I turn it over right away. I'm like, okay, he'll let me have them. I was like, Aaron, Rachel, get over here. I'm like, oh my God, he's just grilling me. I'm like, wow, he's just treating me like one of the guys. So like, I was really drawn to him. And then when I was in grade nine at best, came home one day and my mom was like, hey, uh, Mr. Chambers is going to Terry Fox. And I remember I, the only time I ever cried over two things in the NBA was when Magic announces retirement from HIV AIDS, HIV, sorry. And like when Rich Chambers left to go to Terry Fox, like I was like, like I just saw my life flash before my eyes. I was like, well, what am I going to do? Like this is all I ever wanted. And so we sat down as a family and agreed that I would go to Mary Hill, which is in Poco. And, but my parents said like, we can't get you there in the morning and work. So you have to take the bus. So I would walk like 15, 20 minutes to get to the bus on the other side of the, the hill. It was like an hour and 15, hour and 20 bus ride. And I went and played at Marion Hill in grade 10. So I would be eligible to go to Terry Fox for high school. Played for Doug Bins. And I always, you know, I reached out to him a while ago and just said like, he didn't, he didn't have to take me, right? Because he could have easily just said no and, you know, we're happy with who we have. But he took a risk and, and, and um, it really changed my life as a basketball player, I think. Not just because I ended up being able to go play for Rich Chambers, but just what happened from there really started to groove a path. So that's uh, maybe a part that people don't know. I don't know if they do. And, um, you know, we were ranked number one all year. We had a great team, like one, two, three, four, five ranked kind of just thing in junior boys. And it was fun. So instantly we're just like a high impact team. And then being able to watch the Ravens with Brett and, you know, John Murphy and Zarka and all those dudes, Dave Morgan, Vic, right. And realizing that some of those guys would be my teammates and them, them, you know, watching them battle with North Delta and the other teams and kind of just really, you know, stoke the fire inside of me. Hmm. Uh, good question. I mean, I, I liked routine. I still, I'm trying to break away from it a little bit. I think, um, you know, in our, in my profession, you're a teacher as well, know, like things can become mundane and routine. So I try to break that in different ways, but I think as an athlete being routine and that's my baseball side, Corbs, uh, just the kind of, you know, the, the things in your head that tell you like, Hey, I got to And Corbs probably tell you like my routine as a coach as well. Oh you can tell that later, but, uh, I, I loved routine. It made me feel comfortable, made me feel ready. Um, and I was always the first guy in the change room. I would leave, you know, in the second quarter if I could get in before the game before. And if it wasn't, I was the first one in right after halftime to like sneak in and just sort of get through my whole routine. I'd tie my shoes the same way. I put my socks on the same way, um, do the same routine in my head and, and getting ready. And when we warmed up, it was go time. But then when we got in the locker room, I always enjoyed just like a little bit of like a, you know, a clap or a dance or something like that. Um, the 98 year at Langara, I did a thing once and it really took off and we got really hot. And so we just kept doing it. So, you know, knowing my personality, being a goofy guy, but also like a competitor, there's a little bit of both. Right. Um, and but I think the routine really helped me feel comfortable and be prepared. And then recognizing if some of my teammates needed something from me to be able to step out of that and help them as well in maybe just a more relaxed way um, so we can get ready to you know, try to win some games. Mm -hmm. 
I remember watching you play uh, like an exhibition game. I think you were a grade 11 uh, kid, and you guys were playing an exhibition game at Richmond High School. And I think I've told you this before, like you caught my eye. Like I was familiar with Gregor and Morgan, you know, Richmond High had like Mavis, Bristol, Lakes, Dunn. Was Kyle Russell there? Not yet. I remember. Bobby. Not yet. Um, Bobby Singh. Ben and Man. I'm probably missing a couple guys. And like there's a minimum of seven guys in that one exhibition game that went on to play post-secondary. And Bobby Singh probably could have, but he was too busy winning CFL, NFL, and XFL rings, but a lot of a lot of talent on the court. Mm-hmm. And I remember because I had played against Terry Fox the year before that, and so they had Dave Morgan and Gregor, but I had never seen you play. And so I I see you get on the court and this savvy, like super efficient, high IQ, good feel. I'm like, who is this guy? And like, where did that? savviness come from where did that is that just from being that gym rat you know tagging along taking up that six seat you know is that where it all came from or originated i think so i've thought about it a lot because um like when i was in grade 10 i dunked in like five games and then i realized like i am not an athlete and this is not how i'm going to survive in basketball right but i think i think going back to being younger being exposed to different sports seeing how the games are read at different ways, like basketball or in baseball, you know, someone's on second, how many out, what's the pitch count, where's the ball going? Like you've got to think 15 steps ahead in the game of baseball. As slow as it is, it's really actually fast because there's so much happening. Soccer, the spacing, the movement, the conditioning, like volleyball, the back and forth, but there's a net. And so it's like kind of different. I think just that and just growing up in a sports environment where like I was, we're playing cherry on the street. I'm trying to find a way to win. Like maybe if I spin the tennis ball down the hill and it hits the bat on an angle, they won't be able to catch it. You know, like it's kind of just mm-hmm. always how my mind worked um, from a sports standpoint. And mm-hmm. then just starting to really hone into what it was that I could offer teams and how I could get by. And so like on that grade 11 team, it was like, I know Vic and Dave are the dudes and I'm not getting in the way and won't be able to get in the way, but what can I do so I can play and contribute to us winning? So just also being open to being a team player and kind of figuring it out from there. But I don't know where it came from, but, you know, I guess when people talk about me, they say like, yeah, you just had a mind for the game and was able to like figure things out and um, had people sit on the bench as a coach. And like, I don't know if you ever get this feeling, you comment on something and they're like, whoa, you saw that? Like I'm, I'm two plays behind, you know what I mean? And so it's kind of natural. Like I'm not a big X and O's guy, but I do think I have a feel for the game. And it's just something that's, a little bit rain manish, I guess, inside mm-hmm. of me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Never been no, able to put a stamp on it. I thought about it and I've never really been able to go like, no one taught me. It was just, I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The uh, For those that may have listened some, to some of the previous podcasts, I know you used to have some epic kind of driveway battles. You know, how much did that come into play or factor into your development? Because I know that you were the only court or hoop in your neighborhood and, um, the, the only uh, stipulation was that you had to play, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it was huge, man. I mean, the Killens brothers, like Brian was probably, I mean, he had to have been six or seven years older than me. His brother Jason was four years older and they would bring their buddies from Centennial. And I don't know if Jeff Winslade ever, ever showed up at my house, but he may have. Their dad was an electrician. He made this like huge light and our, we would put it at the end of the driveway 
and they would just it would sh- literally light up our whole entire house like our whole house <laughs> and the trees behind were in this like super powered electrician made light and we would just play until forever but i was weenie they called me weenie it was like weenie has to play it's weenie's house and so when my brother wasn't there playing i had to be the yeah they call literally called me weenie um and uh eventually the killings got their own hoop and then they, you know, you could lower it and raise it and we would go and play with them. And then sometimes they'd come into our house, but it just got to a point where, I don't know, age and size. And maybe you're right. Maybe that's a good point. Maybe that's where I learned because I was like, well, I can't go faster than these guys. I'm not stronger. So where do I, you know, make an impact on the game, you know, within my skills. And so, yeah, it was, that happened a lot. And then we would go to Hickey courts and Cameron rec center and just always trying to play against bigger and better or at least they thought they were better, but maybe by the end of the day, they didn't think they were better, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Well, I think we'll go back to your high school play a little bit, but let's move on to your post-secondary journey. Um, As a player, it was pretty eventful. Uh I'll use that, that, that word. Cap College, Langara College, uh, BU. Talk us through that aspect of your journey and those moments in your late teens and early 20s when you had to make some grown man decisions. If I'm being honest, it was hard because, like, you know, going to my grade 12 year, I was pre-ranked as the top player in the province. And those things are just whatever. But, you know, I was on a radar. And then I think a lot of people just kind of overlooked me because it was like, oh, well, there's this undersized sort of 6'4", maybe on a good day post. And it was like, you know, I mean had a couple JUCOs come to provincials and look, and that's when JUCO was still actually all right. Like Dave and Maeve obviously made a great path, you know, so it was no slouch to be having a a JUCO come and see you, but it was like, you know, SFU wasn't really talking to me. Jay Sora kind of sent me some letters and then UBC. And it was like, like, I remember sitting down with Richie my grade 12 year and he was like, how you doing? And I was like, I'm a little bit upset. Like no one's really talking to me. And he was like, those are not things that are in your control. He's like, you're doing everything you can. You know, we played American teams. We beat them. You know, you've been on the provincial teams. So just keep doing what you do and, and try to make the best of it. And then, and you know, in the end, like, there's no disappointment. I ended up doing I think a lot of the decisions I made were probably the right ones. Um, like maturity-wise, coming out of high school, I just was so immature. I was such a goof. Um, academics weren't there for me yet. I just wanted to chill and hang with my buddies and play hoops. Like, honestly, my brother is an engineer. I was rocking solid C pluses. <laughs> and so, you know, I could pass tests and I could get into schools if I needed to, but I just don't think like going away to school would have been a smart choice. Calgary was recruiting me quite hard that year. And I just, something in my heart, like I didn't even know how to boil water, right? Like, as much as my mom tried to get me to it was like you had so much growing up to do and so I decided to go to cap um you know Langer and cap are recruiting me pretty hard and I didn't know a lot about those leagues because in my mind I had thought well you know I went and watched the SFU women's dynasty like my whole entire childhood watched all those teams play and then would go watch the men's team after and like see so many different players I go to camp Triano and so you know, go to UBC camp. I was thinking, oh, these are the places that I can go. And then when no one comes knocking on your door, it's like, oh. And then going to CAP was great because got good leadership and we're able to figure it out from there. Um, and, and, you know, got exposed to another great coach. I mean, like in high school, I got Richie and Don. And then my first year, I'm playing for Phil Langley, right? Bill Hangday, you know, a national team guy, like just 
learning so much about the game and and had some success right i ended up starting most of the year and and was a an all-star and it just went well and just kind of snowballed from there i get really uncomfortable talking about myself in this manner but uh i don't know if that makes any sense but i think one of the things was i kind of got a chip on my shoulder a little bit and i didn't realize it like i never i never really understood i why i played the way i played and i realized it was like everybody just said like well, this six four slow white boy, he can't play. So, you know, like there's a post that's got to be six seven and better than him, or you know what I mean. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm going to use the skills that I have and the tools that I have to try to like prove people wrong. And it wasn't necessarily in the front of my mind, but I guess now I think about it, it was kind of floating around. And yeah, I don't know if you want me to talk about Langara and stuff like that, but that's how I ended up at Cap, um, and kind of just went from there played with zim and a lot of great guys and and we had some success and then just kept it rolling we want to take a moment and thank our sponsor parkside brewery located in the heart of port moody on brewers row parkside offers an amazing atmosphere with one of the best summer patios around if you can't make it to the brewery located at 2731 murray street then hit any government retail store and try the Don Pilsner, the Dusk Pale Ale, or my favorite, the Dreamboat Hazy IPA. A Hoops Journey promises that the beer at Parkside is much, much, much better than the owner, Sam Payne's Streaky Jump Shot. We hope to see you Parkside. After a brief hiatus, Good Lad Clothing has returned, but under a new location, 3283 Main Street is where they can be found. Name drop a hoops journey to get 10% off any clothing items in store. The store no longer offers barber, but you can find the best retail around. Thanks to our sponsor, Good Lad Clothing, and we hope to see you there. Now you've played, um, you mentioned a few of them, you played for some Hall of Fame coaches, Rich Chamber, Van Oz, Phil Langley, I love Phil. He was our U19 Right. Uh, Coach, Summer games, uh, yeah. Kevin Hansen, Jerry Hemmings, you know, they all must have impacted you in some way. What are some of the takeaways from playing for these great coaches? You know, perhaps we can, you know, touch on or go through each one of them, starting with Chambers. Like, what was it that, you know, you loved him since the beginning by the sounds of it when you're in grade, mm-hmm. eight, grade nine, you know, you know, I've met him a couple times. I think he coached us in a provincial all-star game or something like that. And he has an interesting approach, you know, he has, and just to kind of, he throws a question or a kind of subtle challenge at you. And I think if you're a certain type of individual, you just say, okay, I get what you're saying. Mm -hmm. You know, is it, did you get that sense from him? Yeah, for sure. You know, like, uh, I think the reason that, like, Richie never bothered me was because, like, my dad was a hard dad, too, right? Like, he was old school, was a yeller, and, like, there were expectations in our house. So, like, when my basketball coach was yelling at me, I was like, "Mm, all right. You know, like, it just didn't really fluster me. But I also knew that, like, I was taught also to listen to the words as opposed to the body language or the volume. Like, he's not telling me that he hates me or I'm a bad human being. He's, like, trying to make me a better basketball player. And I was able to separate those. I also appreciated, too, that he would come out of his way and just, like, kind of grab your arm and say, hey, you know, keep going. You're freaking grabbing some rebounds. Or, you know, like, there were there were positive things in there, too. So, um, 
Yeah, I mean, he was he's intense, man. But I just was drawn to it. I enjoyed it. Um, and same with Donnie. Like, Donnie wasn't a yeller, but he was hard. And um, they were just trying to make the best people. Like, we ended up having some success talent-wise, but nobody got off. There was no, like, there was no hand-me-outs. It was just like, this is the expectation. If you don't like it, then go away. And this is Terry Fox basketball. And so I appreciated that. I appreciated being pushed, and I appreciated that uh, – Everybody one through fifteen, you know, were were treated at least not in the same as individuals, but as a whole, right? Vicar Gore didn't get off for anything that, you know, player number fourteen did. So, um, mm-hmm. just learn a lot from them, and just more about kind of being disciplined and dedicated, working at becoming a better student and being a better person, right? Which I think carried into basketball, and then playing for Phil. Uh, Phil was funny, man. Him and I clashed a bit my rookie year. Like, I thought it was pretty nice. So I think he got annoyed by that. Um, so we clashed a little bit. But, I mean, that was kind of nice. So, <laughs> um, But I think he was, again, you know, I just no, there was no ill will. He just he saw potential in me and challenged me. I remember he made up some silly rule one practice where, like, if you didn't make the set, he kicked you out. But, like, I was just barely making them, and he just kept me. And then it was just me on the baseline. I was like, what is this guy's problem, right? But he was just just challenging me in different ways. And I think he saw some some potential. And then, I mean, from an X and O standpoint, you know, the group that we had, we maxed out for sure. Um, VIU, a.k.a. Malspino, were very good that year. And Lang was very good as well. They both went to nationals. But, you know, the group that we had and what Phil got out of us, you can't say enough and just the experience he had. So... That was great. And then, you know, having the opportunity to go and move over and play for Kev, you know, especially Kev where, you know, he was younger. And I think maybe like he was very like, this is kind of like he gave us the keys, right? Like I saw how he treated like Lou Johnson my first year and like Lou could hoop. And it was just, it, you know, it was crazy. It was like, and you played for him too. It was like, hey, two to the three hole, let's score, uh, shoot it before you turn it over, you know. You know, we still worked on defense, but it was it was up tempo and just kind of. Um, Kev was that coach where I think maybe maybe because of his age, as opposed to say Phil and Richie and Don, like he was a little closer to us in age and still younger. And it was like um, the conversations were different. You know, it was uh, he knew what we were going through as college athletes. He didn't pretend like we did. He didn't know. He knew we were out having fun, like chasing girls. Just you know, hey, stay in school, like get your grades. Like so, the conversations were a little bit different because younger Kev was still closer to that than the, my previous coaches. But I just loved his style, and like we hit it off, um, you know, immensely as well. And then players for Jared, coach, right? Hey, just to, sorry to cut you off. Just the no, players yeah. coach. Yeah, when when you were thinking something kind of off, he would know it. You'd sense it. He'd just kind of give you that look and push his neck back and just like, I've been yeah. there. I know what you're thinking. Stay focused. I like. I never forget. Like, you know, we would battle Malspina, and um, it wasn't until like his last year that I think he won a league game there. Um, and then we go down and play Camosun and they just weren't strong at that point. And so like he would come up at halftime, he'd be like, listen, you have 15, you, I want you to be an all Canadian this year. Uh, I want to vote for you. Like you need to score like six, six quick, quick points and like get out. Like you need your 21 average and get out without, you know, hurting your ankle. Cause we're up like 35 and I'm like, who actually thinks like that? I was like, what? Like, I'm not thinking about being an all Canadian or anything like that, but it was just like, he was thinking about 
his program and myself, mm-hmm. right? And, and it was just mm-hmm. like, and that's a player coach, right? And then boom, is like a couple transitions, done. Like put some ice on the knees and you're out, right? It was like, okay, cool. So he was different that way for sure. And one of the things that means a lot to me is that like, um, I was on a team that was able to get him his first national championship, right? He got close at Lang a couple times and mm-hmm. for us to be able mm-hmm. to get over the hump, like I still tell a story like, they're still shooting the threes. Might have been Prosper Croango at that time. No, it wasn't. But uh, our boy Prosper. Um, Ross. Yeah, the ball was like in the air and like I'm just bear hugging Kev because I just know like what he's been through to get to that point, right? So there are some special moments there and then trying to figure out life after Langara. And then I think like, you know, I'll be honest, like Kev pushed me to leave and I probably should have left after that 98 year, but I just like was still not fully comfortable for whatever reason to step out of my comfort zone, man. I don't know why, um, but it's life and that's what happens. And, you know, I went back and I don't have any regrets about playing, but like now that I look back, if I had two years of CIS opposed to just one, you know, let alone moving to a place like Brandon where you live right now, just trying to adjust to that lifestyle, figure it all out, new school, new people, new team. Um, and the thing, funny part about Jerry was like, Jerry, like, oh, man, I could write a book on our year just that I played one year, man. Like, anybody that knows Jerry just knows he's worth, a, like, a laugh, right? And, uh, like, he, he made me go to study hall. And I remember going to the first study hall, and I said, Coach, you don't need to worry about me, man. I mean, first of all, if I go ineligible, like, I'm done anyways. It's my last year. And second of all, like, basketball is a priority, but, like, I'm here also to, like, I need to get this degree done, Right. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and kudos to him. He never made me come to another like study hall. I came to a few just to keep myself accountable. Um, but he had the ability to just go, all right, you know, he, he'll, he'll be okay. Um, but he was crazy, man. I, I, I really liked, like he let us be free. And I mean, to be honest, like the teams that we had, like we were so athletic and for us to be able to still, like we waxed a lot of teams and it was not close. Right. Um, and I, you know, not to compare it totally, but like, have you watched Last Chance U basketball? Yeah, like a lot. Yeah, like a lot of us are in the same show. I'm a fifth year guy. I got one year. I'm trying to figure out my degree. Some of these guys have bounced around. Like the guys who are like Gil, who play four years, are very rare, right? In this in this era of Jerry, right? Like, so um, for him to be able to just juggle all the personalities and where we were from and who we were. And for us to get to like a national final, I think it says a lot about his leadership ability, like as crazy it was and as different as it was that I was used to. Um, I think it opened my eyes as a coach as well to, to different ways to be able to connect with people. Um, mm-hmm. Because it, like in the end, you know, no, if you're a head coach, like relationships, right? If the, if you, the, the women that you coach, like you don't get to know them. You're bringing a girl in from Baltimore and you don't ask her about where she is and who she's, you know, how she grew up and what her life is. How are you supposed to be able to like, hey, set the screen properly? She'd be like, what? You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was just um interesting, like, perspective of coaching. And I think it um, it was good. It was good. I, I I loved it. I loved the different ideas and perspectives and the way people um, did things differently. It was, it was awesome. It was a really long answer. Now I know people feel like, you're sitting there scratching your eyeballs out. Now, was was playing professionally ever a goal for you? Um, like, I never, honestly, it never really crossed my mind. I just never really thought of it, like the whole idea of a passport. And, like, I had some, my body was starting to break down. Like, my, that year at Brandon, I had really bad Achilles issues, Achilles tendonitis. It just was like, it could never shake it. And I couldn't take three weeks off, right, like, during the season because it was like I have one year left and we're, you know, we're a top team. And, 
And then, uh, you know, my knee started to really bother me, but I just, yeah, I was like, okay, where am I going to go like second tier Sweden and just hang out? I don't know. I, I, at that point I had told myself, like, I wanted to become a teacher. I wanted to get school done and I wanted to move on to the next phase of my life. But again, episode 50, like hearing people's stories about being overseas and just having some fun. It's like, ah, that would have been kind of cool for a couple of years, but Mm -hmm. I just was ready. And I think my parents were ready because I was going to drag my five-year degree into a seven-year degree. So now, you know, to go back to the BCs a little bit here, uh, you know, your BC hoops. I'll give you that. You know, a lot. Thank you. You know, whatever it is, you know it. Um, now, did your dad play in the BCs? For some reason, I thought that you guys were the first father-son combination to play in the BCs. Is, is that accurate? I don't think we're the first, but we're in the program. Yeah, he made it to he made it um, when he played at Esquimalt. So we're, which is kind of cool, man. Yeah, he did. He played in the in the provincial championships. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is kind of the part that I was most excited to jump into. You know, I'm not a BC hoop historian like yourself or like Howard uh, Howard Samura, but, you know, and I think this is important for people to hear this, okay, Mm because you won a high school provincial championship as a player. Mm -hmm. You won a U-17 Western Canada championship as a player, a college national championship as a player. You've won a high school provincial championship as a coach. As well yes. as who knows how many silver medals, bronze medals, player oh, and coach, MVPs, all-stars, all-Canadian accolades. Mm-hmm. These are amazing, amazing accomplishments, which really didn't register with me until I was preparing for this podcast. Mm. So, you know, you also have Coach of the Year awards and double-digit trips to the provincials and multiple top four finishes. You know, I could be wrong, but I, I don't believe that there is a more decorated player and coach than you in BC or even Canada for that matter. So, and, and there could be, but I have not heard of this, this individual. So let's explore this. And I want to go into each of those championships briefly. So okay. for the high school championship as a player, you, you've kind of mentioned some of the key individuals, but like, what was the team characteristic that led to that championship and success? I think um, the foundation was Terry Fox. Uh, when I was in grade 11, we were taught about Terry Fox. I mean, Mary Hill is where Terry Fox went as well, but we were taught about him like more than I could ever imagine. Like he just became my greatest hero. Um, and so when you think every day when you're showing up for practice or a game and you're tired and, you know, we were 40 and two that year, like we lost to one team from Portland, we lost to Richmond. Like that's when you think about what it takes to win just 40 games and to be able to do that in one season, like Terry was always in the back of our minds and some people may roll their eyes at it, but it was really true. Um, I just like couldn't believe his story. I couldn't believe who he was. His legacy carries on. And then when you throw in like the coaching that we had from an X and O and a motivation standpoint, um, that like none of us were better than anybody else in our in the halls of Terry Fox, not just even in our locker room. Like 
they don't give a crap if you play basketball. It's like you better treat people well and you better look out for each other and you better support each other. And this is a community. Our school is Terry Fox, not just Terry Fox basketball. But now, I mean, was that, know, sorry to cut you off, mm-hmm, but was that no. like from uh, the school administration or is that, you know, like it, it is the coaches? That's the coaches who are yeah. kind of telling you the Terry Fox story and how remarkable a human being you know, he was and what he was uh, pushing, pushing to do and generate. Um, so that was Van Oss and, and Chambers. Yeah. And even more, just it was Donnie. Not even a lie. I mean, Richie was only, you know, he'd only been at, at uh, Fox for one year before I got there. And like, like the things he would play the video of Terry Fox, the old, you know, VHS version the week before provincials, we'd have pizza on the Sunday and then the month, like the literally the week before practice. So you think like we talk about, uh, tailing off and tapering practice after practice he would put 40 minutes on the clock and we would do conditioning like okay go to a backboard left leg like 10 backboard slaps right leg 10 backboard slaps okay bed on the baseline full set okay uh 20 push it like just every day like till like for the week off before provincials so and that's why right. you was have that in your achilles right <laughs> thanks donnie <laughs> probably true um so it was like if 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 Terry could do it, then we can do it, right? Like I mean, mm-hmm. and you know, just key guys like uh, you know, the Finley brothers who would shoot threes and play some defense. We had Jason McIver who ended up playing football at SFU. You might have crossed paths with or got to know a little bit, but he was just a grinder, a defender. Like he didn't care about scoring, you know. Pete Morgan, Ben Simmons, like Cody Jones, like just all our guys, right? And then some guys were just like, honestly, we had a JV team that had 15 guys too. So it was like, they were happy to be a 15th guy, to have a jersey, to be part of that team, right? So um, there were lots of key pieces. I mean, when you make a championship run, you need so many things to go your way. You talk about success that I've had as a player and coach, but it's still, you need good teammates, you need good coaching, you need a lucky call, you need health. Like there's so many different things that need to go into play there. And when you go on a run as a top ranked team, I mean, I remember that grade 11 year we we played, I think we played Steveston first round. Yeah. Steve Lee maybe grade 12 would have been. And then and then we were supposed to have a matchup with STM. They played Prince George. And we played STM that year. And we only beat him by like three at STM. They were one of the teams that gave us a battle because they had a big guy that could handle Dave Morgan. And they lost. They lost to Prince George. And then the next night we played Prince George and we win by like 55. So it's almost like, you know, an extra day rest, but kind of going through some reps. And then we jump into the semifinal and... Dave Morgan is our MVP of the semifinal. He has like 30 bangs with Eric Heinrichsen, goes back and forth with him, and then he's exhausted in the final, and then Vic steps up in the final. I mean, you need different performances from different people. This isn't the NBA where, you know, your best players are going to be your, you know, your best guys just going to go one-on-one. You need different things to come from different people. So that's just kind of the team we had, and I, fit, you know, I filled a role in a little bit of a niche in there, and, and uh, it was fun, man. It was, it was all I ever dreamed of as a kid, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. What about uh, moving to the provincial team stuff, the U-17 Western Canada Championship? You know, who are some of the uh, teammates on that uh, team and, you know, what was kind of key to that championship? Well, I think like Eve mentioned on his show, I didn't, and you don't realize because we were playing, he's like, you know, there was a lot of pressure on the Team BC coaches because, you know, it was only Western Canada and BC had won like 12 or 13 years in a row, you know what I mean? And so it was like, if you're going to take this job, you better expect to like pull it off. So uh, we didn't realize that, but uh, playing for E was just so fun. Like he made provincial team, he made a provincial team, but he also made it a provincial team experience, right? He made us feel 
bigger than we were. He made it super fun. He would force like basketball BC to get like nice cars on the road. It was funny, man. He was so good. But just characters. I mean, that was my life. Like I had Oli Schmidt, Ali Wilmont, Tony McCrory, and Jesse Azatutu literally living in my house every summer for three straight summers, like every day. That was, my parents took them all in. We had two extra bedrooms. A couple guys would sleep on some mattresses in the living room. And that was it. Like that was my life from U17 to U19. They they stayed with us every summer, no question. Um, so, I mean, how could that not be fun? And, and to be able to win, it's great, right? MVP is kind of cool, but those games weren't in doubt. Like we murdered those teams not to be like that. It just Edmonton, ba- Alberta basketball and um, whoever else we played. <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, and, and, but I mean, it was good. It was good to win and win to con- convincingly. And there were fun guys. Bristow developed great relationship with Jason Bristow over the years. Him and I became really good buddies. Uh, Darcy Deutscher, Tim Engelbert, Vitel Peters, like, obviously big tone like just so many guys it was just it was awesome and it was awesome to like as you experience as well in those provincial teams like comparing yourself and where do i fit in and where am i at right so it wasn't just you know you're trying to win but you're also like okay everybody else is here let's see where i'm at let's get at let's get into it you know mm-hmm. and uh how about that college national championship as a player um where did that take place that was in edmonton at grant McEwen. Grant McEwen. Yeah. Who were you playing with uh, at Langara at that point? So that was Randy Noor, Jamie Wee, Maximu, um, Pete Hodson, Dunner, Colin McDonald, um, Dana Maslavat. Like it, we, it was an interesting group, right? Because I don't know if we had like better talent than a lot of the teams, um, but we just, I think we just got driven. Once playoffs started, everyone was like, "This is ours! Like, let's go." Um, so that was cool because the year before we hosted nationals and that was like Lewis, Mike McDonald, um, Dougie Sutherland, like just a fun group of guys. My first year at Lang, Bristow, fortunately JB took that year off the next year, but we lost first round. Remember that? It was up at SFU, man. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. I do remember. Yeah, we hosted, yeah, we lost, we, we lost to Grant McEwen in the first round. They upset us. And then the next year we got Grant McEwen again because they were the hosts. So they were the eight seed. So we were the one seed going in and had a lot of expectation and, Played them and then um, beat Humber in the semi, I think. Yeah, Humber in the semi. And then played Dawson. I mean, Dawson was loaded, right? We mentioned Prosper Karangwa, who ended up going playing national team, played at Siena for four years. Like, they were good, man. And uh, it was it was, it was was amazing because we were down. We were down like seven or eight um, in the fourth quarter. And we just looked at each other as a group and locked in and got it done. So that was, you know, really, really cool experience and um, one I'll never forget as well. Mm-hmm. So, so the high school provincial championship that you won as a coach, mm. um, you know, at, with that particular team, when did you know that it was a championship team? Like, it, was it in the tournament? Was it early in the season? At what point did you think, I think this team might, might go here. This, this could be the one. Uh, literally when the final buzzer went in the championship yeah. mm-hmm. game, mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. even lying. Corbs helped out that year too. I mean, he shot mostly threes on the sideline that year when he was around. <laughs> um, like I'm not lying. No, uh, we, we were up and down. We would play great. We would suck. Like the week before provincials, I threw them all to practice because one guy showed up with one shoe and he left it at the previous game and a guy actually picked it up for him, but then forgot to bring it to practice. I was like, Oh my God, like, I'm dead serious. We played at Tupper, left his shoe, someone picked it up, and then first practice forgets to bring. I'm like, you guys just need to go. Like, you're wasting my time. So, um, but then, you know, 
anything can happen, right? We talked about that. And I think as coaches, especially at the high school level, a lot of that stuff's so out of your control. Like I didn't bring these kids in. We're just working with who we have and let's see if we can go on a run. And like Fleetwood got upset the first round that year and things just started to roll from there. And Reese Morris just played like a stud and he was just a really good influence on our team. I mean, and then we also had like Terrell Jana was in grade 10. The guy ended up being a wide receiver at Virginia, like literally Virginia football, right? So, you know, JJ Deloria was our point guard, Played, played football at SFU, Kieran James, Drew, like we had so many guys that just were athletes. And um, yeah, so the answer is like literally I was paranoid until that final horn went. That's 100% truth. You know, it shouldn't be any other way, I guess. Uh, well, man, yeah. you're, you're only, what, 45 years old. I don't think you'll win any more championships as a player. <laughs> 43? Come on, sorry. man. I, I'm 45, sorry. I don't think you'll yeah. win any more championships as a player, but I have a hunch that, you know, the coaching success will continue. And, again, I think that's just amazing to see that history of success and just being able to um, bring all those championships home, so to speak. We all know that over time, player-coach relationship can evolve into a solid friendship. Um, how did your relationship start with your co-creator, Corbin? Oh, there you go, God. I'm, I'm interested to hear. As in the Godfather. Yeah, I, I want to hear this one. Well, I'm glad that you stopped at friends because I don't know if we would consider each other friends. No, I'm just kidding, Corbin, <laughs> man. I'm just kidding. Uh, I mean, Corbin was like the ultimate, as a coach, he was the ultimate team guy, right? Um, his grade 11 year, he didn't even have a jersey on the team. I said, the best we can offer you is to be a practice player. And would you be willing to do that? Because his group of guys that he grew up with, um, there was a bunch of dudes that just loved basketball. And like to the point where we had to cut 12s and, and 11s um, to make a team. And we took as many guys as we could. And Corbin was the guy who was like, yep. And he came to, I was doing my master's at the time, Nov, and we had it at STM. And these guys like... It's the only year of a group chat. They stab me on a WhatsApp group chat, which I regret every day. But um, <laughs> like they would, I called them the book club. Like they would show up. I would have class Friday. I, they would text me, coach, you in for school this weekend? Yeah, they'd be there at nine when I started class. Class would end at three. I'm like, okay, hey, you all got to go, man. Like, you know, mm -hmm. they're still in the gym, just, you know, dicking around, having fun, whatever they're doing, shooting after skills. So they were just like a special group. And Corbin was part of that. And he stuck with it, right? And then, um, you know, it was grade 12 year. Same idea, just kind of we had a really good group and, and then we stuck with it. And then he's shown a keen interest to become a coach and um, wanted to be a part of the program. We, we're happy to have anybody that has played for us to come back and be part of our program. And he stuck with it. And, you know, the relationship has just kind of grown from there, right? I'm sure sometimes for him, it's like, what do I say here? Do I chirp him because we're closer <laughs> now or is he still my mentor coach? I'll let you decide which side he takes. It's usually not the latter. But anyways, yeah, it's been an interesting and fun relationship. But like, you know, we, this podcast wouldn't happen without him because he's the one who was like, yo, I know you want to do this. Let's do it. And I was like, yo, I'm not sure we can do it. And he's like, yo, we can do this. And I was like, okay, why is he annoying me? And like, I'm supposed to be the mentor. And then just for him to be able to like, let me grow and push me to grow is kind of interesting, right? And hopefully he uh, shaves that mustache and bad gray hair and becomes a teacher one day and then he can do his thing. So I'll let him answer. Is a mm -hmm. question posted to him as well? Novi Nov? Corbs, talk about your relationship with AM and how after, what is it, nine years, is it, that he's oh, still man. a part of your life? I mean, uh, first of all, I had him, uh, I remember 
I remember my first earliest earliest memory of him was watching him at Chancellor the first game, right? So I'm in grade eight, um, and for those who don't know, at the Chancellor we are like the whole school comes down to watch. I think we have like shortened blocks that day, and I remember like the first play of uh, of the game. I forget who, I forget who was the center, but I think Mike got it. Chungi shout out Chungi lobs it to Curran, dunk first play of the game, and then I don't know, and then Mitch is just like rock solid. He just he is. Just, Nothing, no emotion, no, no, like, just like another day, right? I'm like, okay, this is, this is, this is big boy stuff, right? This is, this is the real ish, right? And I had him in grade nine, my social nine teacher, um, shout out that. And then, yeah, so grade 11, I remember, you know, I was looking forward to playing with him, you know, play a little bit, grade eight, junior, um, you know, have, this is, this is the seniors. I want to have a chance to play at the seniors. And, you know, he sat me down. I was like, look, we got like 16, 15 guys like you and shout out our, our boy Dario. Like you guys have to be practice players. Like, are you okay with that? And like, maybe I didn't know what this, that relation would, would become then, but I knew like, Hey, I like, I, I enjoy having him as a teacher. And then like, he seems like he'd be fun to have as a coach. I'm like, you know what? I want to stick around, stick with the program and, uh, and do it. Although I did accept it, like maybe like if I show him if I work hard, like maybe I get a jersey. I remember the very first practice, we're doing this, we're doing a drill or doing a scrimmage. I like I poke the ball away from somebody, die for the loose ball, and then uh, and then he starts practice like, yeah, you know what, guys, even Corbin is not gonna get any jersey, and he's still diving on the on the on the floor. I'm like, oh, um, <laughs> well, I guess that's uh, I guess it's official then. I'm not getting a jersey, but and I was okay with that. Um, so, <laughs> but. You know, like he would, you know, sit me down. He like he coached me just like anybody else on the team. Like even, right. like I think with some coaches, I think maybe you run into his you know, like the 15th, 16th guy. Like if he doesn't run a set properly, right? Maybe goes the, the timing of his cut is off, right? He doesn't come off that pin down right, Spain, right? And like I remember coming, like I went early on the screen, and he's like he's just ripping me in front of the guys. Like I'm still not a jersey. He's like Corbin, you gotta wait for that second screen. I'm like okay, so at least he's te- you know he's treating me like anybody else, right? And then. Mm-hmm. I remember grade 12. I'll never rip anyone, Corbin. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, we'll have stories for that, as we both know. Um, I know grade 12, if if you remember the Ken Hansen episode, he kind of kind of gave him the gave uh, Mitch the old uh, rope-a-dope in terms of, like, are you on that what, U19 team or U18 team, Mitch? Yeah, U19, mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, he kind of did the same thing with me. So uh, that was pretty, looking back now, hilarious. That's, like, uh, not going to lie, I've done that too. But uh, already... Um, but like I start, as we started, you know, I started to become closer with him. I remember we had a good talk. I remember on the way from the, one of the GW Graham tournaments, it was just me and you in the car because we just dropped off. I don't know somebody at the sketching station, and I just asked you like, what can I do to, like to help the team? I still remember what you said. Um, just like look, like because we, we got uh, Jalen that year coming in the summer, like it's not going to be a lot of minutes for you. Like do what you can, push Dens as hard as you can in practice, make his life hell, make Jalen's life hell, cheer, cheer, cheer your ass off on the bench, and I think good things going to happen to you. Right. And, you know, I took that to heart. I really just tried to be a really good teammate to, to everybody else, knowing that, you know, like my on-court contribution wasn't going to be measurable, but like, you know, just making sure like no easy buckets on me, at least at the very least, and just try to make my teammates better. And that's something that I've always kept to heart. Um, mm-hmm. And then I still, I, again, I still have uh, the grade 12 award. Like the, if you can see in the back there, it's like the spirit award. And I still remember, I still remember not quite word for word what he said, but, for the most part, like still remember the things that he said in that in that meeting, and we have that picture. Uh, I still have it somewhere in my house, and uh, that's something that you know, I still remember. And I don't I don't want to just be t- outlining our the timeline of our friendship, but just over the years when I started coaching, you know, I've been through some really hard times in my life, and uh, you know, he's been always someone that I can get an honest answer from. Number one, be available to me. Number two, and just 
you know, like he's a he'll chirp and he's great with that. He's so witty with the jokes when it when it comes down to like you know re- the real the real I'll bleep myself out. The real mm-hmm. is like you know he'll he'll sit you down and you know he'll he'll listen to you right. He won't he won't try to impart his opinion onto you unless you ask for it. And I'm sure he always has opinions and stuff. <laughs> but you know, over the mm-hmm. friendship, it's like it's kind of grown into like yeah, the mentor. They're also friends now. Like we're like we're peers or quote-unquote colleagues like i coach the jvs right under him so you know we have a lot of communication like on a kind of professional level in terms of like hey like what do you think about this guy moving up or like what do you think about you know that stuff but we also like talk about random stuff talks about like you know a story with eli and stuff with, with uh reagan shout out reagan even though it turns out she didn't listen to the pod till this year <laughs> um but um but just stuff like you know sharing stuff about his life and i think that's been you know you just don't share that, those kind of stuff with strangers or with anybody so you know over the years yeah just it's been fun we went to uh some concerts some shows birch bay even though i don't want to talk about birch that too bay? Much. you went to birch bay i haven't even been invited to birch bay yet gosh <laughs> tell them what for what was it for it's for it's, it's for a coaching uh it was for uh coaches uh wrap-up coaches party. retreat coaches, yeah. that that too i'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a I'm the godfather of the podcast <laughs> well, neither have we been for a full year, so. Um, just uh, to finish off a long answer, it's uh, if you told me in grade 12, like, what, nine years later, you'd be going to his house at, like, 9 p.m. to record podcasts or, you know, be in the same coaching staff or, you know, you know like, you remember hugging Kev at uh, at the end of uh, that Grammy Kuhn game. I remember hugging you at the end of uh, the Charles Hayes game, right? So I think I think you, I forget the order, but. You, I don't you raise your fist in the air. You hug somebody, and then you hug me. That was the first I think, assistant coach that you hugged, right? So, um, and that again, stuff like that means something to me. And uh, for whatever reason, we just keep hanging out, just keep uh, keep doing our thing. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we are a bunch of losers, right? But yeah, just it's been it's been a meaningful relationship for sure. And obviously, yeah. I gave him that crazy intro and named off all those things: friend, teacher, coach, mentor. And, you know, it was a long list, but I know he's all of those things to you, to every, you know, student that he's taught, every player he's had on his team. Um, I know he's been all those things and more. So, um, you know, it doesn't surprise me at all to hear uh, your comments in regards to your relationship with him. Hey, are we ready for the lightning round? In the edition? Let's go. Let's do it. Let me get that drop for you, Nov. All right, uh, lightning round, NT edition, AM, who's your GOAT? It's Magic Johnson, man. I just don't understand why does Magic get overlooked? Why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to pick Magic too, but I... Yeah, I know, yeah, it's not, it's not. Like, in my heart, in my heart, like, you show me someone who's jump center, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar out of the game, rookie, come on, man. Like, and all the five titles, come on. Anyways, um, for me, it's MJ because, like, as a competitor, it just comes down to what one thing. It comes down to being able to win games. Um, some people have better statistics than MJ. Um, some will have lesser um, that maybe are ranked higher. But I think, like, and that's one thing I've learned with Kobe, too. Like, I didn't really have a lot of time for Kobe as a player, and I just never really reflect on the influence that he had on the game. And he won, too, man. He's right there. So um, I just think it's MJ. I think if, uh, if I'm picking a player as a coach or as a teammate that I want to go to war with, I'm ride or die with MJ, man. Maybe even over yes. Magic. As fun as it would be to play with Magic, let's go, MJ. Let's get it done. Fair enough. So you're going to the Parkside Brewery. Oh. You can invite you can invite five 
to seven guests. Okay. Who do you have at your table? I appreciate you asking me this beforehand because I would have got flustered and not given it um, its earned respect. So in no particular order, uh, for many different reasons, I go one, I got Charles Barkley. I just need to have some beers with that guy and get into some trouble and laughs. Um, I think he's way more educated and smart than people give him credit for or sometimes he even tries to come off as. I think he likes the country bumpkin sort of like don't give a F, but I think he's got a lot more to offer and I think he's hilarious. And I think after a few... Um, you know, hazy pale ales or uh, like a uh, Don Pilsner. He, you know, he'd be fun times. So I'd like Barkley. Um, I got Muhammad Ali. Uh, read, read, and know as much as I can about that guy. Just you know, possibly the greatest fighter of all time. We'll never know, but just who he was and what he stood for and his swagger and just everything. Like, I think he would just be in his prime, um, you know, before everything took over in his mind. I think he'd be an awesome person to sit down with. Um, I got my mom. My mom mm-hmm. would have been yes, seventy this year. Yeah. Gracie Grace um, passed away at 57, obviously nowhere near long enough to live. Um, And it's nothing regret. I just would like to have another meal and some laughs with her um, because I think like between my mom and my dad, I'm a lot more like her and my brother's like my dad. And um, if you met my mom and like I said, you know, my house was home to numerous basketball players um, over a lot of time in a period of time. So for sure, if I could bring her back, got to have Magic and Larry. Um, I got to have those two. Uh, for many reasons, uh, growing up, you know, cheering and crying over basketball and loving them. And, and um, there's my wife. She's doing bath time right now. Yeah. Hi, Reagan. Not Hello, to Corbin Reagan. either, just to know. Sorry, Corbin. Anyway, oh, okay. Thanks, thanks Reagan. It's got to be Magic and Larry uh, for numerous reasons. Magic, obviously, I've said before, but I think the rivalry, I think those two don't get enough credit. I know there's other dudes and everything, but, like, they turned the NBA around. Like, the NBA was in a bad spot. There was drugs. There was just bad stuff, low salaries. They brought the hype back into the NBA, and I think if any NBA player who's cashing a check right now um, should be thankful for two dudes, it'd be them, and I think they'd just be awesome to sit down with for various reasons. Um, I got Malcolm X. Um, also just, like... Yeah, brother Malcolm. I think like I'd like to just know a little bit more about him and his thinking and and how he was. Um, he's an, always been an intriguing guy to me and, and done a lot of reading on him as well. And then last but not least, definitely not least, would be Terry Fox. Uh, I got to bring back Terry. I got to bring back Terry. Um, even like post surgery, Terry. I want to know his mentality and what he's like and why he was so driven. Um, and I want to hear those words said. Like I know he was the most selfless guy. I believe he should be on the five dollar bill. Um, but he's by far my greatest hero. Um, even more than my dad, I think. My dad is a hero, but I, I think Terry as well. So that would be my, that would be my dinner, man. Yeah, lots of food, lots of drinks, lots of laughs. Um, speaking of the food, now you've ordered your dreamboat hazy IPA. Okay, it's time to order twenty chicken wings. You may not have oh. chicken wings at Parkside Brewery. What flavored chicken wings are you ordering? Oh, you didn't tell me this one. Ain't no thing but a chicken wang. Oh, oh, Novi. Oh. I'm going honey garlic off top. I'm going teriyaki or barbecue split. They're split for a second. And then it depends how I'm feeling. Maybe salt and pepper, maybe a jerk, maybe like a little sriracha. I don't like a lot of spice. It doesn't go down very well. Um, yeah, a little bit of damage after those things. So, But it's honey garlic off top, no question. And ranch. Yikes, yeah. someone is going to be upset with you when she hears this. <laughs> Who? My mom. She's going to oh. be like, Aaron, that's insulting. <laughs> you did not choose my chicken wings. <laughs> well, I mean, if it was fish... Right, you know, right, Danny's right. Fish is off top. There's not even close. Yeah, wow. Off the charts. Yeah. Okay. Are you saying there's a chance your mom is listening this far? 
Oh, she will for sure. She won't know yeah. where the sound's coming from, from the device, <laughs> but she'll be like, I can't see them. I know I hear them, but I can't see them. <laughs> All right, moving on, Dan. Yeah. Greatest, greatest player that you have played against. Oh, man. I knew this was coming, and I knew I, I know how people feel now because it's like, I mean, in my own backyard, I've played against yourself and like a dozen other Olympians, you know, like, how am I going to, how am I going to crap on an Olympian? Like, I just watched that 94 final and Maeve was just like, I know we talk about him a lot, but like, my God, man, he mm-hmm. had like 30 of their 66. Like he was crazy. Right. Like I said, like a lot there. I think Prosper is probably one of the best players I've ever played against. I couldn't believe what he could do. Oh, and just like with his body, I was like, okay, look at this guy. We just got to blow on him and fall over. And then it's like, nope, I'm stronger than I look. I'm smoother. Yep. I can shoot the three. He played in those Jordan 13s too, with the blue on the side. I was like, man, all right, yeah, like he was, he was. Um, got a chance to play against down south. We played against um, Jordy. Talked about um, Slick Watts's kid Donald, but we played against Dickerson and Terry as well. Um, when kind of like AAU ball wasn't totally huge, so a lot of the dudes teamed up together, and so we played against Michael Dickerson and Jason Terry as well. They murdered mm-hmm. us, but I mean, those guys. How can you not give them some love? And I'll say Dave Morgan, man, he was my teammate, but that guy after practice every day, almost every day, would just make me play a quick game of one-on-one or a best of three. Like, he would just kick my ass every day. He was like 6'10", could stretch it out. I think he's one of the most underrated players our province has seen. Um, Division one, two-time first-team all-star at the Provincials, won two titles, played national team, played pro in Greece. And um, so those are just some of the come off the top of my head. But, I mean, like I said, like, Novi, man, you think of the the Cap SFU men's league days, like that. You could pick, you could pick six guys from there, including yourself, like that you've played against, right? So, no one kind of more like at the pro level, but just yeah, mm-hmm. Prosper was nice though. He was good. Yeah. Greatest player you have coached? Oh no, I didn't know I was gonna get this one, man. I thought you'd skip by. Uh, <laughs> Greatest player well, I've coached. Oh, I hate this question. I will never ask it again. <laughs> Episode 51 will have a new <laughs> question. You said a question. Uh, mm, I mean, like, you know, the Morris brothers, the combo of them, um, the talent that they had and what they were able to do uh, post-secondary wise was, you know, outstanding. Gio Trasolini, Jalen Janna, Terrell Janna, we mentioned. There's lots of there's lots of people, but I think, like, from the guy that I would have maybe liked to play with the most, I would say Denz, Denz LaGuerta. I just liked who he was as a captain. I liked what he brought to our team. And he was just a little dude who got by with way more than what he had. Um, and that's because he worked really hard. But, you know, again, super tough question to ask. They're all special for different reasons. Oh. But, oh, was that surprising, Corbs? It was very surprising. I have a couple off the top of my head. I mean, Danny Duma was unbelievable. Right? Yeah, Danny Duma, Carl was unbelievable. But I don't think, like, the thing is, um, I think Carl and Denny got even better after high school, you know? Oh, so. Enough. I'm not sure how responsible I am for that. That's their continued hard work, right? Um, Mikey was great, like, you know, and that's, it's, it's hard. But I think, like, for someone who maxed out their high school potential with what they had, I think, you know, Denz was that guy. Like, the year that we lost, 2012 oh, in the double okay. final, we lost to... Um, Mission. Oh, man, Morris. What's what's the... Mission. What's the MVP uh, men's league guy? Morris. No. Look, Morris. Pete Morris. Oh, Pete Morris. Oh. Pete Morris's kid was on that team. And, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, we're like down twelve with a minute and a half to go, and like we're subbing out Denz, and he's like crying because he's like, "No, I want to like finish this game." I'm just like, "No, we're gonna." I didn't say like we're gonna lose, but he just didn't want to come out, right? And I was like, mm. "So, yeah." But I mean, again, many great players and, and great people. So happy to have been mm-hmm. a part of their their journeys. 
most important person or people in your life have been? Well, the lady who came in here to say hi to you on the, Zoom, the muted Zoom, um, my wife for sure, uh, someone that's actually able to put up with me uh, full time, right? My friends can come and go. <laughs> but uh, someone who's able to put up with me and, and what I want, you know, we juggle each other off because we both have goals, but to support a coach is huge. Um, even right down to the times, like, you know, that when we, when we won that 2016 championship, like 2014, 2014 championship, 2014, 2014. sorry. Uh, you know, we, we just lost a baby at like 20 plus weeks. And, you know, it was two weeks later, my wife was like, you need to get back to coaching and finish the season out. Right. Like I just, you know, for her to let me pursue my passion is huge. Um, my dad, um was a hard dad but he he was a good dad and he provided for us and he worked his ass off with minimal education he worked his way up you know um the ladder in, a, in the food chain in the, in the business world and was able to provide and set the example and i always remember being young he bought us like pittsburgh pirate hats and then he would like give us rewards would be a star and you get to glue like a star next to the p and like if you reached a goal or accomplished something like that was our and so we were like we were taught at an early age to like set goals and be driven. And, and I think, um, he's a huge one. And then just all the coaches that I've had the opportunity to play for and players that I've coached and people that I've played with, like, I know it's a lot of people, but seriously, like, you know, it takes a nation, man. As my man, Chuck D said, um, I just, there's just so many people in my life. So, but those would be some that just stand out off the top of my head. You could do it all again. You would. Ooh, not make fun of Dom Zimmerman for going to the weight room when I was a rookie and going with him. <laughs> Make room for different years. Dom was a, Dom when I was a rookie at Cap. Dom was a, Dom was our captain. He always be like, "Let's go to the weight room," and I just make fun of him. But honestly, um, I think if you asked me this question, like I don't know, maybe 15 years late earlier, I would have said like, "Well, oh, I regret this." But I think like life's just a process, and you live and learn from it all, right? So I don't know if I would change anything. I'm happy with where I'm at. I'm not content. I want to keep growing and better and doing different things. But it's been awesome, man. Um, had some great basketball moments and great personal moments. So. It's just, we'll just keep learning from the, the things that don't go well and expanding on the things that do. Well, man, appreciate hearing your journey. Uh, fellas, it's been an absolute honor to be a part of this podcast. Many of us are enjoying the stories and the journeys of all your guests. Um, as you know, I've been involved with the women's game for just over 10 years. Uh, it's Women's History Month. And so naturally, I have to ask, fellas, what do we have to do to get some more female representation on the podcast? Wow. We're on it, man. We're on it. I knew you would be. And I, I knew that was going to be the answer. We got, no, we I, got love, to... I, I love that Kim Smith episode. Um, she was I didn't dope, want right? it to end. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want it to end. Love Trixie's episode. You know, getting to hear from an Allison McNeil or Kathy Shields or a Teresa Kleindeans or a Harleen Sadu or a Naya. Uh, Anaya Raincock Acuna, you know, Megan Pinsky. I can go on. I can go on. Let's crank up a female represent. That's what I want to hear. Mm -hmm. And you know sure. what? Hey, and you know, I'm here to help any way I can. Um, but again, wishing you guys nothing but continued success. Any final words, AM, as I hand your show back to you? No, man, I appreciate you doing this. We were laughing a few weeks ago when you said, like, give me a spotlight. And I was like, well, I got something for you that Corbs and I have been talking about. So we appreciate you doing this. Um, I hope people enjoyed this episode. I don't know. Now I'm starting to feel the other side of it and wondering if they will. Um, <laughs> no, but you're my guy. And I hear you on the female representation. We're on it. We're working on it. It'll get there. Um, but I honestly, from the bottom of my heart, I want to give a shout out to all of our listeners. Um, like, we're not some big time show, but like without you guys, 
this show really doesn't, it literally doesn't happen. Um, Corbs and I message each other kind of the downloads that are happening each week and we continue to just be blown away. Uh, so we're super grateful for every single person that messages you send the, Hey, like the show an email from someone I know, I don't know. Um, didn't honestly really expect it to be like this and we're going to keep it rolling and do the best we can for you. So those are my final words. It's funny. No shout out to the sponsors. No, come on, man. Oh, I didn't write that down. <laughs> Folks, don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, and comment. Episode 51. Let's get it.